Once upon a time, there was a young shepherd, a boy after God's own heart. He went from tending sheep to leading armies, from wearing a sword to wearing a crown. He was one of history's greatest kings who committed one of history's most infamous murders. His rise built a kingdom. His fall would tear it apart. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. Hey, has summer arrived in Charleston? Yeah, we appreciate you guys stopping by on the way to the beach today. Um, I want to welcome those of you uh, who do not have a beach, uh, those of you in Greenville and Greensboro and Columbia where there are no beaches, and Manning and wherever you happen to be, we're glad that you are along uh, today. Also, those of you in the warehouse, there is a beach close there in the chapel. It's clo- actually closer to the beach than we are here. And, um, and I want to welcome those of you on the internet who can look at pictures of the beach while we share together today. Wow, that's great. Hey, let me ask you a question. We need to get really into what we're going to talk about right away because we've got a lot of stuff to cover in a short amount of time. But let me ask you a question to kind of get your mind going there. How many of you have ever felt like um, there was a barrier between where you are and where you need to be? There, there was something big uh, between where you currently are, maybe as a family, as an individual, as a business school team whatever it happens to be and where you where you need to be and it just like seemed in, insurmountable maybe it's a fear thing you know or or maybe it's a conversation that you're supposed to have you know you need to have with your spouse or you know a close friend or whatever you don't want to do it but you know in order to make progress you got to push beyond it and you're kind of it's a barrier you guys understand what I'm talking about well what we're going to do today is we're going to study we're continuing our study uh, called Rise and Fall, the Life of David. And we're going to study, arguably, um, the most recognizable story in the Bible. Okay, It's the story of David and Goliath. Um, there have been movies made about it. Uh, you know, you, you guys, if you grew up in church, you know the story. But David faced a literal giant that was between him and the fulfillment of God's vision, God's destiny, uh, for not only him, but for, for a nation. And so what I want to do is I want to do three things. First of all, I want to tell you the story. Now, how do you tell a story that everybody knows? Well, I want to do it. Um, It's 57 verses in Isaiah 17, so I'm going to read all of them. I want to tell you some of it. Listen for kind of some things maybe you didn't hear before. Then we're going to make some observations about what a giant uh, is. I mean, what, what do we know about giants? And then we're going to, at the end, just finish up with two or three things about how do you deal with giants? How do you kill a giant uh, when it's in your life? So I want you to listen uh, with the idea in mind, what, what, what is a giant that I have? What's a barrier that I have between me and where I think I need to be? Okay, so let's jump in. Isaiah chapter 17, and uh, we're going to take a look at the entire chapter. Story begins with two opposing armies. One, the army of the Philistines. They're arguably the, you know, the, the, the most powerful uh, force in the land at the time. Uh, they've been a thorn in the Israelites' side for a significant number of years, well-equipped, uh, ready for battle, and they're on one hill. On the other hill, 
you've got this ragtag group of Hebrew farmers, basically. Um, they, for weapons, they've got hoes and spades and, you know, all kinds of farm uh, instruments and maybe a few spears. A couple of guys got bows and arrows. And, but what's interesting is that these two have fought before not very long ago. In fact, the Philistines are the ones that bring the battle. They're the ones that start the battle. And just a couple of months ago, this ragtag group of Hebrews actually defeated the Philistines in battle. It was a major upset, and they're upset about it. They're not going to let it happen again. It's time for payback. And so you've got one group on one uh, hill, the other on another. In between, and these hills aren't very far apart, very very small area. And in between, there's this valley. In the middle of the valley, there is um, this dry brook. And this is where, this is going to be a battlefield in just a short amount of time. So wake up on that first morning, no doubt, especially in the Hebrew camp, there's apprehension. There's some grizzled veterans who have survived these battles before. And they recognize and realize that by the end of the day, that there are going to be hundreds, maybe thousands of their friends and maybe them who won't make it to the end of the day. The young guys who've been bragging just a few days before, they're not bragging anymore because the reality sets in. This is what war is about. There's apprehension. There's a little bit of fear. There's wondering, will it be me? What, what will it feel like in that, in that moment? Now, as they look across, they can see, literally see the, the opposing forces on the other hill and they see something starting to move and it's, it's unusual. Somebody says, what is that? It looks like a tree, but it walks and it moves somebody else says i think it's a man well it can't be a man it's too big it's literally the biggest man that anybody has ever seen in their life in fact the bible records his height that being nine feet nine inches almost ten feet tall not only is he huge but there's a there's a glisten about him because he is um fully covered in armor. In fact, the Bible records that the armor that he wears weighs 125 pounds. To give you a reference, that's about what I weigh. (laughs) Or did when I wrestled in high school. That was my wrestling weight. And, uh, I mean, if, if they knew what a tank looked like, that's what a tank would look like as it just slowly comes down the hill toward them. And then this giant, this will show you how close they were together. This giant gets about to the middle and he begins to yell and everybody can hear him. And I'll pick up the reading with what he said. Goliath stood and shouted across to the Israelites. Do you need a whole army to settle this? Choose someone to fight for you and I will represent the Philistines. And we will settle this dispute in single combat. Not unusual for those times. Sometimes rather than, you know, risk the lives of many, they would take a single warrior, a single champion from each side. That's why he's challenged. He said, I'm the baddest thing you've ever seen in your life. I'm the meanest, toughest warrior you've ever seen. And if you've got one guy that can come out and do battle with me, let's settle it. Kind of a mano a mano, winner takes all, battle to the death. Then he sets the terms. He says, if your man is able to kill me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel. Send me a man who will fight with me. And when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified 
and deeply shaken. Now I'm pretty sure if I'd have been there that day, I would be in the camp of terrified and deeply shaken. I mean, think about it. We, you know, you, what if it was you? I mean, it's me. I'm, you know, 5'8 in heels. And I go back in time, I got four kids, I'm a Hebrew farmer, I'm not much about this fight, don't really know what's going on, but I've been conscripted to be there against this monster, this giant. We we wanted to illustrate for you how big this guy really was, and so we were thinking about it, and we thought, well, our biggest pastor is Michael Morris, he's in the chapel right now, he's six foot seven, and that's not even close, and so we took one of our smaller pastors and stacked him on, on top of our biggest pastor and it come to about nine feet that's not quite big enough but it'll show you and then we took one of our normal sized pastors and we just took a picture of him so here, here's kind of what that looks like <laughs> not too intimidating but i'll bet it was back in the day so this giant this monster of a warrior comes out every day morning and night for 40 days And he shouts at Israel. And he says, is there a coward there? Come on, I'm here. I'll do it. Nobody knew what to do. I mean, the leaders probably at night tried to construct battle plans. What what can we do? How can we do this? And there's not a one that volunteers. And they're just hoping that maybe the next day he, maybe the next day he won't show up, but he does. You know, it only takes one giant to stop you. I mean, there can be all kinds of other things, all kinds of other options, things going on in your life, your business, your team, your family, whatever it is. But when there's one insurmountable obstacle, when there's one giant, it fills up the screen, doesn't it? It takes your thinking. It's all you think about. You're stymied. That's where they were. Now, at about that time, the hero of the story shows up. But when he shows up, he's not a hero. He's the domino deliveries guy. Okay? It's David. (laughs) He's out tending uh, sheep for his father. His father wants news from the battlefield because his three older brothers are all in battle there. And so his dad loads him up with food to take to the battle to give to his brothers and their captain. And he says, bring back a report to me. And so David lives 18 miles. He lives in Bethlehem, 18 miles from where this is. The Bible says he ran the entire uh, time and he gets there. And he gets there on the 40th day of Goliath's taunts. David sees it and he hears it and he says, what's up with this? And he asks questions and somebody says, this is a giant. We've never seen anybody like this. Everybody's scared. We don't have a plan. Saul has offered a reward for someone, anybody that will go and face this giant. And David said, well, what's the reward? He said, well, Saul said they'll give their family a pile of money. He'll give his daughter in marriage to whoever will step up and do it. And they won't have to pay taxes for the rest of their life. David thinks about that. Two out of those three are pretty good. I mean, the the money and taxes. Saul's daughter is not a real uh, bargain. As as we're going to find out a little bit later in the series. And so David thinks about it. He says, you've got to be kidding me, right? Then he says, who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? That he is allowed to defy? 
Who is this? Now, he's got a great perspective. Everybody else sees nothing but the giant because he's so big. That's all you can see. David sees his God as being greater than the giant. That's admirable. The way he said it, he could have used a little tact because he says, who has allowed this to happen? Which pointed an accusing finger at everybody around. Now, one of the guys that heard this was his brother, Eliab. Do you remember Eliab? Last week we taught on the choosing of David as a king. Eliab was his oldest brother. Samuel came to the house of Jesse and uh, God had said that there's a king. We're going to replace Saul. Saul's not getting it. And so Samuel, the first thing that he thinks is it must be Eliab. That's the oldest brother. He looks like a king. Remember last week? I mean, he's got great hair, tall, nice tan, great smile, looks good in Docker or Diesel, either one. He's king. He's a kingly guy. He looks like the last king. And God said, the problem is I didn't like the last king. I look at the inner man. You look at the heart. Remember what God said about Eliab? He said, I have rejected Eliab. How do you think that made Eliab feel pretty good about himself? And then he chooses Eliab's youngest brother. How do you think that made Eliab feel a little bit worse about his youngest brother? If you'll read this with me, it's obvious there's some history here and there's some problem. I imagine Eliab has been picking on David all of his life because Eliab says this. Eliab says, says when David's oldest brother Eliab heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep that you su- you're supposed to be taking care of? Puts down his job. You know, there's a few sheep out there. Your dad gives you something to do. You're a coward. Why are, why are you there? I know about your pride and dishonesty. You just want to see the battle. Listen to David's reply. This sounds like a little brother, doesn't it? What have I done now? I was only asking a question. There's some history between these guys. So Saul hears that there's somebody willing to fight, gets excited about it, asks him to bring him in, and here's David, this young shepherd boy. David says, don't worry about a thing. I'll fight this Philistine. Saul replies, don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can go against this Philistine. You're only a boy, and he's been in the army since he was a boy. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep, he said. And when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and take the lamb from its mouth. And if the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who saved me from the claws of the lion and the bear will save me from this Philistine. You know, when I read, when I read this, I read that evidently God has been preparing David for this very moment. This is a key moment in his life when he faces a giant that nobody else can slay. It's probably an aha moment for David too. It's like, okay, now I know why the lion came. Now I know why the bear came. See, when you know that your problems have a purpose, you can deal with them. But sometimes in the middle of it, you have no clue. Why is this happening to me? Why is this going on? And David gets an aha. Uh-huh. Okay, that's why that happened. And sometimes God reveals things like that to us. But you need to understand, you don't live on the explanations of God. You live on the promises of God. And sometimes you just got to walk by faith into a situation based on a promise of, of God. And maybe in his right time, God will reveal it to you. But it becomes obvious that God had a purpose in the lion and he had a purpose in the bear. And his purpose is now to make David ready to face this giant. Well, now Saul says, okay, 
I'll let you go, but you've got to fight with my armor, which, by the way, I'm not using because I'm afraid of the giant. David says, well, I can't use it either. He tries it on. He says, just let me go and use the stuff that I'm comfortable with. And so David goes to battle, and you know the story, with a staff and a sling. And he pauses to pick up five smooth stones. Now, this is where we romanticize the story. Got this little shepherd boy. He's got this little sling. You can buy him at Walmart. And, you know, he's got five nice little smooth stones that he picked up out of that dry brook. And he gets it in the sling and somehow he throws it. And this little bitty stone, it's amazing. It's a miracle. This stone goes and it hits this huge giant right where he's not covered, right in the forehead. And he falls down and he's dead and everybody lives happily ever after. Well, I was in Israel recently. Did I tell you that last week? And uh, learned a lot of things. I asked lots of questions. I'm obnoxious sometimes. I want to know about the whole political thing. I asked Israeli government people. I rode with Palestinian taxi drivers, asked them how they felt about all of it. I might blog about it. Who knows? But I I knew that I was going to uh, uh, do this message. And so I found a shepherd. And so I talked to a shepherd about how the whole sling thing happened. And the shepherd showed us how a sling works. And I got to tell you, I was amazed. When that shepherd, well, it was incredible. Here's one thing that I did learn is this, is that uh, the stones in this case were probably more like this, okay? It's baseball size, baseball size. And um, a shepherd, when he slings this sling, and it doesn't look like one of these deals right here, it's like this. When it leaves, when a rock like this leaves the uh, sling, it's doing around 100 miles an hour. Now, they didn't have speed guns back then. I don't know how they measured that. Maybe they measure it now. So so that that sling is the equivalent of a modern-day... Actually, it's an ancient Israeli Uzi. And David <laughs> puts five rounds in the clip, okay? So he's prepared. He's prepared for... for uh, he's prepared for a battle. And... Uh, but before they go into the battle, they do one more thing. This is kind of interesting. Uh, they start trash-talking one another. Uh, it's an Old Testament. It's a Middle Eastern thing. The warriors tell each other what they're going to do in order to kind of, you know, intimidate the other guy. And so Goliath sees David coming out. And he says, yeah, you know, isn't there more than just a child coming over? That's all Israel can put up. And then finally he says, come on over. I'll feed you to the birds. David answers with one of the greatest statements of faith. It's ever been said. It's one of the greatest statements of faith in the Bible, so I want to read it. It says, David shouted in reply, You come to me with the sword and the spear and the javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut your head off, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone will know that the Lord does not need weapons to rescue his people. It is his battle, not ours. The Lord will give you to us. See, Goliath says to David, this is what I'm going to do to you. David says to Goliath, this is what God is going to do to you. Now, this is why this is important. If it's about what you're going to do, if it's about your pride and who you are and how you can handle things, then the size of the giant matters. You better make sure you can size yourself up with the giant and you got a strategy. 
But if it's about God and what God can do, then it's more about just trusting in faith and believing that God can come through one more time. David doesn't return insult for insult. He knows that he's no match for the giant. It's not a fair fight, but the giant is no match for God. David says, watch out, big guy. God's bigger than you are. and He's fixing to open a can, or I mean to put a whooping <laughs> on you. Whoa. Keep it between the ditches, all right? Pray for me. And so, and so David runs toward the giant. And he reaches in his bag and he grabs a rock. And he zings a hundred mile an hour Randy Johnson fastball. He catches that giant right between the eyes. Giant never knew what hit him. Never saw it coming. Hit the ground stoned out of his mind. Let's read. So David triumphed over the Philistine giant with only a stone and a sling. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. And then the Israelites gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. And the bodies of the dead and the wounded Philistines were strewn all along the road from Sherem as far as Gath and Ekron. And then the Israelite army returned and plundered the deserted Philistine camp. What started out that day as an incredibly frightening situation turned into the greatest victory, the most lopsided victory in the history of the Israeli army. All because one guy, insignificant guy, a shepherd, not even a warrior at that point, chooses to see not the size of the giant, but the size of the God. He sees life from God's perspective. And what did it do? It energized a crestfallen nation. It gave power. It gave uh, uh, energy and revived and saved a group of people and allowed them to walk into their destiny. Right now, you and your family or your business may be facing a huge giant that stands between you and the destiny that God has for you. You may feel like David. You may feel like you're alone and you're in a valley And you're looking up at something so big that it seems like there's no way. Everybody around you is paralyzed with fear. They're waiting for somebody to see life from God's perspective. I want to tell you this. One victory over a huge giant can energize a family. It can turn around a business. It can save a community. It can launch you into the destiny that God has for you. So how do you do it? How do you kill a giant? Well, let, let me talk to you first of all about three things that I know about giants and then we'll talk about how you kill them. Here's the first thing. There will always be a giant between you and your destiny. There will always be a giant between you and your destiny. And God has a destiny for you. God has a plan for you. God has thoughts for you. You may be thinking right now, you know, Maybe that's the end for me. Maybe the last season was the best season or maybe it wasn't even all that good or maybe you just can't see anything in the future. I want to tell you, God has a destiny for you. In fact, that, one of my favorite scriptures is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, and I know it's written specifically for Israel, but I also know that I've been engrafted and so have you if you're a believer into God's ultimate plan for uh, this world. And I know that what 
is in this scripture is apropos to you and to me. Let me read it. In fact, let's read it out loud together. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. God has a destiny for you. But here's what else I know. There's always a giant between you and your destiny. Now, what are giants? Giants in the broad sense are anything that stand between you and your God-given destiny. Whatever is blocking your path is a giant. Specifically, what do they look like? Let me give you some ideas. They can be people. I mean, Goliath was a person, but I think very seldom are they people, to be honest with you. And I think we can get sidetracked if we see our giants too much in individuals and people. It's easy to do. Let me make a blanket statement right now. If you're married, your spouse is not the giant between you and your God-given destiny. Your boss is probably not the giant between you and your God-given destiny. Your brother or your sister that just gripes you all the time is probably not the giant between you and your God-given destiny. Notice, David didn't waste precious energy fighting his brother Eliab or even fighting with Saul about stuff or people that didn't believe in him. Because there's only so much energy that you can give to a battle. David knew they weren't the giant and so he kind of just let them go. Four words that will help you diffuse any situation. Somebody is bothering you or they're criticizing you or they don't think something, the way you're doing something is right. Here they are. You might be right. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about it right now. You might be right. Let's go on to this. And you face the giant. So it's probably not people. It could be, but it's probably not. It, it could be circumstances that align. You know, you've got several things that are coming together. Maybe it's a sickness or a financial thing or just something didn't work. Just a whole bunch of circumstances that stand between you and your God-given destiny. That, that can be a giant. Most often, though, giants are internal. Giants are things like fear that stands between you and your God-given destiny. It's things like doubt that stand between you and your God-given destiny. It's things like insecurity or discouragement or anger or greed or self-condemnation or envy that stand between you and your God-given destiny. In fact, I believe that your mind is the battleground where the David and Goliath battle must be fought every day of your life if you're going to take ground that you need to take. In fact, that's why I think that Paul wrote in first, or 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5 this. He said, we demolish. Now notice... Notice the military language that he uses here. Paul says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to be, make it obedient to Christ. He says, The battleground is your mind and you're going to have thoughts that are contrary to the knowledge of God. What does that mean? In our Philippians series, we talked about it. He says, here's what you're to think on. Things that are good and pure and lovely and of good report and excellent. If, if anything is praiseworthy, you fix your thoughts on that. That's the knowledge of God. When you get thoughts that are doubts and fearful and those types of things and insecurity and envy and all of that, that's contrary to the wisdom of God. That's not the knowledge of God. And Paul says, you've got to capture those. You can't just just sit and, and just, you know, not exercise... Uh, mental discipline. Because if you do, the giant will own you. Will own you. Every day, 
There's a David and Goliath battle going on for supremacy in your mind. And you might be facing a giant right now that's between you and your God-given destiny. They're huge. They're intimidating. They're threatening. But understand, they're normal. That's what happens. You've got to fight them. Learn to fight them. Number two, giants never leave on their own. Giants never leave on their own. They keep coming back. Goliath, 40 days, every day, he comes again and again and again. On about the 29th day, leaders are probably going, well, I hope he doesn't come tomorrow. Day number 30, he's there. Because giants don't leave on their own. Not only that, but they take fresh ground. It it isn't like they keep coming back to the same place. They take more ground. Um, In fact, the New American Standard version of this uh, says rather than him coming out, it says he came up. Some commentators believe that Goliath came a little bit closer every day to the Israeli camp. And that sounds about right because giants take new ground. They, 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 they take more territory. If you don't defeat it, what were the, uh, what were the, what were the uh, uh, stakes? What, what did Goliath say at the beginning? He said, if you defeat me, I'll become what your slave But if I defeat you, you become our slaves. And that's how giants work. If you don't deal with them, then you will become a slave of the giant. Whether it's an addiction, whether it's a thought pattern, whether it's allowing some circumstances just to buffalo you, you will become a slave. You can't bargain with a giant. You can't negotiate with a giant. You can't say, well, I'll just live with this. You've got to deal with it and defeat it. 1 Peter 5 and verse 8 says, Be careful, watch out for the attacks of the devil. Your great enemy, he prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for some victim to devour. Take a firm stand against him and be strong in your faith. You've got to to come to a point that says, I'm not putting up with this anymore. I'm going to go to battle. This is defying the armies of the living God. This is standing between me and my destiny, my family's destiny, my company's destiny. See, when you do that, when you take a stand and decide to fight, miracles begin to happen. Here's the third thing that I know about giants. Giants are a necessary part of your spiritual growth. I don't like this part, but I thought I needed to tell you that. Why does God allow giants? Why does He send them from time to time? Because they're a part of our spiritual growth. Martin Luther said it like this. He said, there are three things that a Christian needs to grow. They need to learn how to meditate on God's Word. First thing, learn to meditate on God's Word. Second thing you need to do is you need to learn how to pray. And the third thing you need is you need trials and temptations in your life because that's what makes you grow. James 1 and verse 2 says, Dear brothers and sisters, whenever troubles come your way, let it be an opportunity for joy. How have you got that one down? Oh, there's trouble today. Yeah, praise God. You don't have that down. I don't have that down, and I'm a lot better off than most of you, okay? (laughs) He says, for when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be strong in character and ready for anything. That's God's will for you. He's got a destiny for you. There are giants in the way. You've got to conquer the giant in order to grow into your destiny. That's what David did. That giant, David needed Goliath. Say, well, yeah, like a hole in the head. Why did he need Goliath? 
Because God had a destiny for him. What was his destiny? That was to be king. In order to be king, he had to have the confidence of the people. Yeah, he'd killed bears and lions, but that was without anybody looking. God puts him on the biggest stage. Man, when, you're, when you have the ability to fail on a national level, that's great. Puts him on a big stage. There's a giant. Go after it. David killed the giant. Everybody looks around and go, wow, this guy's different. He could be king. It was the first step toward his ultimate destiny. He needed Goliath. And you know what? You need the giant that's in your life right now. God wants to grow you and stretch you, and He wants to use that giant as a stepping stone to the place that He has for you, His destiny. So understand that. Giants are a necessary part of our growth. Somebody said, God never gives you more than you can handle. I don't believe that. I don't believe that God allows temptation more than you can handle. But God constantly gives me more than I can handle so that I depend on Him and see Him do great things in my life. So that's what I know about giants very quickly. How do you kill a giant? I've got about five minutes to tell you. Let's go for it. I believe we can do it. How do you kill a giant? Three things. Number one, you've got to see the giant from God's point of view. You've got to see it before you can kill it. You've got to see it from God's point of view. Always measure the size of your giant against the size of your God. Never measure the size of your God against the size of your giant. What do I mean by that? I've got a grandson, Miles three years old. He loves Super Mario Brothers. Him and his dad play Super Mario Brothers a lot. In fact, uh, uh, his mother, his dad's wife have banned them from time to time from playing too much because because, uh, Miles was showing me this the other day. The ultimate conqueror in whatever level he's on in Super Mario is this huge dragon. There's this giant dragon and you got to defeat the giant dragon. And so they, you know, play it so much that at night he was having nightmares about this giant dragon so dad would have to get up so dad would go in his room and of course dad would ultimately say you know you can be no he couldn't get that so dad said you know what god is bigger than that dragon so every time you think about that dragon you think about how big god is and god can defeat that dragon now miles uh, uh josh and lisa pray with their kids before bed every night and uh they have a three requ- three request limit with miles because Miles has an active imagination. He wants to pray for everybody. And so they give him three requests. We'll pray about three. And then after three, you just, after you get in bed, you talk to God about the rest of them. And so the other night, Josh said that Miles got, got his three requests. Josh prayed over with him. And then Miles had more. He said, you talk to God about it. So Josh went outside and he was listening at the door while Miles was talking to God about what, what else he was thinking about. And so Miles said this. Josh said, Miles said, uh, uh, God, he said, you know, Daddy says you are bigger than the dragon on Super Mario Brothers. But I really don't think so. <laughs> Isn't that honest? You know what? He's always going to be afraid of that dragon. He's never going to conquer that dragon until he sees God being bigger than that dragon. And some of you, if you're really honest, you really don't see God as bigger than your giant. I was thinking about this. What, what's the biggest giant that I can think of in life? I mean, not literal giant. Um, Shaquille O'Neal, big basketball player, seven feet tall, 300 pounds better. What if I was in Chicago walking around and I literally bumped into Shaquille O'Neal? Me and my 5'8 and heels uh, and Shaquille at seven foot. If I bumped into him and I looked up, that's probably all I would see. And he'd block out the sun for me, right? But what if I got up in the Sears Tower and I knew that Shaquille O'Neal was on the sidewalk right beneath me. Would I see him? 
I'd need a pair of binoculars to see them. That's a God perspective. God is bigger by multiples than any giant you can ever face. And if you are going to conquer your giant, you've got to see it before you'll believe it. God is bigger. See God is bigger than your giant. Here's the second thing you do, is you speak to the giant with words of faith. That's what David did. He spoke with words of faith. Words are so important. In fact, Proverbs 18 and verse 20. Read this out loud together with me. Will you do that in the campuses too? From the fruit of his mouth, a man's stomach is filled. With the harvest from his lips, he is satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruits. It says that the tongue has the power of life and death. That we will live by, that we will eat on, that our lives will be impacted by the power of our words. Do you know that language creates culture? We're beginning to understand that as a staff here at Seacoast. There's a common language that we try to, try to speak. There are even some words that are the same and we understand what they mean and we speak that language. Common language creates culture. The language of the soldiers in response to Goliath had created a culture of fear. There's this big, huge guy. We've never seen anybody as big as he is. Every day he comes up. We don't know what we're going to do. I don't know how we're going to live through this. A culture of fear. And David walks into a culture of fear and he begins to speak a language of faith. Yeah, he's big, but God is bigger. Who is this Philistine that would defy the armies of the living God? Not the armies of Saul, because that's, maybe, maybe he's big enough to do that. But he's not big enough to defy the armies of the living God. And at first his language sounded strange. Who is this kid? What's he saying? But then it became contagious until finally at the end they saw what it did and they were all a part of a victory. See, David didn't trash talk about his own ability. He spoke in faith about the ability of God. And when you're facing a giant, you need to first of all see it from God's perspective. But secondly, you need to speak words of faith. Create a culture of faith. You know, let's take a financial giant. Anybody battling a financial giant at all these days? About three people here. Let me talk, let me, let me talk to you guys. <laughs> when you're battling a, a financial giant, you can create a culture of fear. You can talk about, I don't know how we're going to get through this. This is the worst I've ever seen it. I've never lived through anything like this. There's such a mountain of debt. I mean, it feels like we're just buried in this mountain of debt. I don't know how we're going to get through this at all. I don't know if there'll be anything left at the end of it. And what do we do? We create a culture of fear through our language. Well, Greg, what do you do? I mean, is it real? Yes, it's real. Giants are real. They're very big and they're very scary. So what do you do? You speak about and to the giant with words of faith. Here's an example. You know what? This financial giant stands between us and our God-given destiny. See, that acknowledges the giant, but it also acknowledges the fact that God has a destiny for you. And if he has a destiny for you, he's in the middle of the valley with you. You know what? I don't know how he's going to do it, but I know that God has delivered us in the past. There were other giants and we're here today and we're alive today and we're standing today and God has delivered us in the past. You know what? I believe he's going to do it in the future. I don't know how. 
But I believe that God will be there for us. See how you create a culture of faith versus a culture of fear by the language that you speak? That's important. So if you're going to kill a giant, you're going to need to see it from God's perspective. You're going to need to speak to it with words of faith. And then the third thing you got to do is you got to step toward the giant in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not enough just to talk. You got to do. Now, let me give you one more question to ponder as we kind of bring this to a close. When did the giant die? When did Goliath die? Let's think about that a minute. Was it when David cut his head off? No, he was already dead. Was it uh, when he fell and maybe he hit his head on the ground because a 10-foot man, a lot of velocity. Was it then? No, he was already dead. Was it when this baseball-sized rock hit him at 100 miles an hour right between the eyes? Close. But I think he was already dead. Really? Yeah, look at verse 40. So David picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them in a shepherd bag. And then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across to fight Goliath. Listen to me. I believe that when David took his first step in faith, the giant was as good as dead. He was a dead man walking. He didn't know it, but David did. He was dead. See, faith is moving ahead in spite of your fear and doubt. Did David have fear and doubt? Probably, because he was like you and I. Any of the soldiers could have killed the giant that day. The difference was this. David acted on his belief and ignored his doubts. Well, they acted on their doubts and they ignored their belief. See, faith is not waiting until you're 100% sure. Faith is not waiting until all of your doubts are gone. If you wait for that, you'll wait forever. Listen around here. We believe God's in it when we're about 80% sure. In fact, when I'm 51% sure, I got a pretty good feeling. You got to move ahead in spite of your doubts. Faith is not waiting for that. Faith is seeing the giant, understanding the odds, believing that God wants him dead, and then taking that first step. And if you can do that, then the rest of it's fairly easy. So what about you? What stands between you and your God-given destiny? What stands between your family and their God-given destiny or your business, your career, your spiritual life and the God-given destiny today? When are you going to take a step of faith? When are you going to walk into the valley and face it eye to eye? You say, but it's big. That's right. That's why they call it giants. But I might get hurt. People around me might get hurt. Well, you might. It's entirely possible. But you know what? There are a thousand reasons to run. But if you do, your giant will own you. And so long as you give up territory to the giant, you will be a slave to the giant. It may be an addiction that you've made peace with. And you're a slave to it. Could be any of a number of things. When you're tired of running, God stands ready to walk into the valley with you. Sooner or later, you're going to have to face it. My friend Mark Batterson says it like this, everyone wants a miracle, but nobody wants to be in a place to receive one. You've got to take the first step. Let's pray. Father, I thank you 
for this wonderful group of people that you care about and that you love. And God, today, um, just about every, every one of us is in a place where there's something between us and our God-given destiny. God, I pray that today there would be faith that would come. Pray that we'd begin to see with your eyes, that we would speak with your words, and that we would take action by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.